when you came in today, you got a bulletin, and in the bulletin there are cards. Uh, some of you probably had them from last week that you filled out. We made them available. But we'd like you to take just a little bit of time in the service right now. If there's that which you're thankful for, that which you want to just praise the Lord for to fill those out. And we're going to take just a moment in the service to come forward with those. And, and uh, two of my elders will be up here, and we're going to put those on the cross and nail those to the cross. Um, not just symbolic, not just symbolic. Everything, everything comes from that hill called Calvary. And all the blessings of God are amen in Christ because of what he's done for us there. And so we're, we're going to take those blessings. And if, you're, if you can't come to the front, you want to give it to someone next to you to do that, that's fine. Uh, and two of the elders come forward and they're going to be helping. If you want to nail that to the cross yourself, you're certainly welcome to do that. But they're there to help if, if someone doesn't want to do that. So you should have these thoughts filled out on your cards right now. We're going to take a little bit of time during the worship service to do that. I've asked the praise team just to sing quietly in the background some songs of the cross. So um, you can, as, you, as you are able, we, we invite you to come. And if some of you would like to um, say a word, you can. The, the microphone is right there if you want to give a word of thanks.
All right, uh, I'm Mallory Armstrong. Um, please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 18 through 31, and stand for the reading of God's word. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Jesus Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray together. What a um, insightful scripture. that all the things that we have are from Thee. The gifts that we have are from Thee. The air that we breathe, the, the strength that we have, the health, the resources, the finances are from You. And we boast in the Lord. We're here today, our Father, to say just thank you. As we think on these things uh, day to day and month to month and year to year, as we look back and we look forward, we realize that everything is in your hands. We pray, Lord, that as we, we uh, look at this and think about it today, that it would be that which would resonate in our hearts throughout this week. And we ask and we pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. There's a, uh, a brief but beautiful Anglican prayer, and it goes like this. Father, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, what we are not make us, in the name of your son Jesus, amen. Amen. Why would we put a cross up in the sanctuary? Why would we spend the time this morning to nail these thank yous to the Lord on the cross? The answer is that the cross is the center of Christianity. It's the center of all that we think about Christianity, all that we think about God. There's no Christianity without the cross. Uh, John Stott made this statement. He says this, if the cross is not central to our religion, 
Ours is not the religion of Jesus. Each of our lives is centered on something. What's the center of your life? What's the center of your life? Now think about that just for a moment. What's the center of your life? Only one thing can truly be first. Only one thing can be preeminent in your life. What's the top of your list? Well, let me put it this way. What are the things in your life that you're most passionate about? What turns you on? What really gets you moving? What do you love to talk about? What's on your lips? Or try this, what is it that defines you? Career, relationship, family, uh, ministry even, hobby, money, resources, houses, possessions. There's a reason that we nailed these blessings to the cross. The cross is the expression of God's love. It's the expression of God's love. Everything flows from the heart of God through the cross to us. All the blessings, all the gifts, all the promises of God are yea and amen because of what Jesus did at Calvary. God's gift to us is on the cross. It's on the cross. And as we move into Advent, which we begin next week, all these gifts that we have, all these blessings that we have stem from the blessing that he's given to us. So what's number one with you? What's number one? Here's how Paul answers that question. He says, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel. The gospel. I remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, for I deliver to you what is of first importance. And what is that? What, 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 Paul? What, what is it that's of first? What, what is of first importance? That Christ died for your sins. First importance, Christ died for your sins. Uh, Gloria um, Staus stopped by this week to see Mary, spent some time with her, and she brought a book with her. And that was the book that's out now. You're probably familiar with it a little bit by Harris Faulkner, Faith Still Moves Mountains. You've probably seen it advertised. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm thankful, let me take this moment, thankful for others who expressed their kindness to us in so many different ways over these uh, past months. And uh, Mary and I are grateful, so thank you. Thank you. I, I, like I say, I don't talk about it much because it gets too much. But Mary put the book down, and I was watching, and I said, uh, you're going to read the book? Uh, I don't feel like reading. And you have to know Mary. Mary was an avid reader. She's got books everywhere. And um, I said, well, why not? She said, well, I just don't. I said, okay, okay. So I said, you want me to read it to you? She said, yes. So I sat on the couch yesterday and I read the first chapter. 
in the book. And the first chapter in the book spoke truth to her mind and truth to her heart. The first four words of the book, you are divinely loved. You are divinely loved. The original Thanksgiving celebration was held with the pilgrims in Massachusetts during their second winter when they came to America. It was on December 1621. And in the first winter that they celebrated and gave Thanksgiving, of the original 102 colonists, 44 died. It was recorded that at one point in their daily food rations, which they had to do, it was down to five kernels a day per person of corn. But these pilgrims gathered together and they gave thanks to God. They gave prayers, they gave sermons, they sang songs of praise to God. Three days were spent in feasting and prayer to God. And from that time on, Thanksgiving has been celebrated as a day that we give thanks to God and is set aside to give thanks to God. Scripturally, we find things related to Thanksgiving in the Bible from cover to cover, from cover to cover. Individuals offering up sacrifices out of gratitude. In, in the book of Genesis, it's all over the book of Genesis. The Israelites sang songs of thanksgiving as they were delivered from Pharaoh. The law set aside three different celebrations, three times each year when the Israelites were to gather together. And all three of these gatherings involved remembering God's provision, remembering God's grace in their life. The book of Psalms is just packed with songs of thanksgiving. And it's all through the New Testament as well. Some of the most rememberable passages on giving thanks are the following, and you'll recognize these very quickly. In 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing, but with everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And from 1 Timothy, therefore I exert you, first of all, that supplications and prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. Of all of God's gifts, of all of God's gifts, the greatest gift he has given is the gift of his son. On the cross, Jesus paid, and I'm going to get personal, he paid my debt. He paid for my sins. The gift of his son is the gift which means our greatest need has been taken care of. The apostle Paul says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gifts. Indescribable gifts. My thinking goes back to those four words. You are divinely loved. You're divinely loved. And the book I began to read, Mary, is about miracles. It's about miracles. That miracles still happen today in God's providence. 
And as I read that, and we were sitting on the couch together, the theme of chapter one was that God is our rescuer. He rescues us. He's that kind of a God. And as I thought back over my life, God rescued me. And he rescued me again. And he rescued me again. And he rescued me again. Over and over and over. And there's an old song that says, I, 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 I love him again. I love him. I love him. I love him. Over and over and over and over again. I love him. And each time it's a deeper love. Have you noticed that? In your life. Each time it's a deeper love. It's a stronger love. It's a more alive love. Each time, as you look at God with grace, my life, my life, those of you who know my story, uh, my sin, um, you know that there was a time in my life I was stripped of everything. I was stripped of everything. Um, I was without a home, lost my house, and for over, over a year, there was about a, a month I lived in my car. Had nothing, literally, nothing. Being called of God to preach wasn't plausible. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. But I have my own miracles. I have my own miracles. But what God has continued to do in my life, the Lord and his church saved me. They rescued me. This church was my miracle. This congregation was my miracle. And I've started to write down and journal some of these things so I can write them and, and share with my kids and my grandkids some of the things that have happened in my life. And the things that I've been through in my life, we, like the pilgrims, have a choice. In life, there will always be that that we can complain about. Always be that that is difficult. The pilgrims had lost so much. Their lives were so difficult. But they chose to be thankful. They made a choice to be thankful. And as our society becomes increasingly secular, the actual giving of thanks to God is being overlooked. God is being overlooked. Not just thanking him, but even recognizing God in our lives. Leaving just the feasting. Just a full table. My prayer is the Lord will find us grateful every day of our lives for all of his gifts, spiritual and material, that we have. In James 7, verse 17, the scripture says, God is good. And every good gift comes from him. For those of you who know Christ God, he also works together for good in the difficult things of our life. In the hard things, we just sometimes don't have the patience to wait to see what God is doing and how God's going to work this out. How is God going to take us from here to here? Because we're in the midst of this now. And the difficulty of this now. 
But to get us right and to hold us in his presence, Paul says, we have to keep coming back to the cross. Actually, Jesus said that too. Why do you think he says, you know, he's in the upper room with, with these men and he says, you know, here's, here's what I want you to do in the future. I want you to come around this table and remember. Remember what? Remember what? Remember once a month we do this as a family of God. What does Jesus want us to remember? Where does he take us? He said, this is my body. Broken for you. This is my blood that is shed for you. He wants us to remember what happened on the cross. You are divinely loved. Divinely loved. In the passage we read today, the world says foolishness. It's foolishness. Ever since the gospel first began to be preached, the message of the cross has been rejected as foolish, as unbelievable, as outlandish. And we see that, as Mallory was reading several times in this passage of Scripture, in verse 18, it says that, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. In verse 23, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block to the Gentiles, foolishness. Paul says to both the Jews and the Gentiles, non-Jews, the cross is just offensive. First of all, the idea of a crucified Messiah for Jews, for the Jews, nonsense. <laughs> nonsense. Their whole expectation, and we know this, we've talked about this before, of the Messiah was he's going to come and he's going to crush the Gentiles, going to lift up this nation. And to the Gentiles, just, just plain foolishness. Now think about this for, from the Roman perspective, if you will. If you can just imagine the response of the Romans. Rome worshipped power. Power was their God. Offering them the gospel of a man whose country they held in bondage and their supposed leader is nailed to a cross and killed foolishness. And people today think it's foolish. People today think it's foolish. Michael Green, I was sharing this with Sue this past week, who wrote a book that I've studied in seminary called Evangelism in the Early Church. And then John Stott picked up in, in his book on the cross the, the, same, uh, the same thing. Tells how they discovered some ancient graffiti on the, the wall of a house on a Palatine hill in Rome. It was a crude picture of a man hanging on a cross. Only in the drawing, the man on the cross had the head of a donkey. This is back then. That was their way of making fun of Jesus. This donkey man, this donkey man, they crucified. It's no different today. Perhaps a little difference in wording. Without the preaching of the cross of Jesus, without the preaching of a cross to ourselves all day and every day, we very quickly can, can revert to faith plus works. 
unless we keep coming to the cross. Faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. So to go to the old Fort Lauderdale question, you remember this years ago? If you were to die tonight, stand before the Lord, and he said, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? That was the Fort Lauderdale question that went throughout the whole country. And if you answered that in the first person, you'd be immediately wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I, because I, because of this, because I, and you continue, the proper answer is in the third person, because he. Because he. Because he. Nothing in my hand I bring, right? Simply to thy cross I cling. Simply to thy cross I now think about the thief on the cross. Uh, I was listening to, uh, or I was reading this week as I was preparing an article by Alistair Begg uh, from Akron, uh, the church there, the chapel. And uh, he, he made this illustration which I thought was, was striking. He said, think about the thief on the cross. Think about the thief on the cross. He said, I can't wait someday to ask that fellow and, and, and get before him and say, how did that shake out with you? How did, how did that work out with you? Because you're cussing the guy out that's on the cross, and you're cussing him out with your friend there, and you're both getting them getting from both sides. You've never been in a Bible study, never got baptized, didn't know a thing about the church membership, and yet you made it. How did you make it? How did you make it? That's what the angel must have asked, you know. How did you make it? You know, what are you doing here? He said, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. I don't know. You know, excuse me, the, the angel says, I got to get my supervisor. <laughs> he goes and gets the supervisor angel just a few questions, uh, sir. Just a few questions. First of all, are you clear? Are we clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? Guy said, I never heard about it in my life. Never heard about it. What about the doctrine of Scripture? And there's a glaze. Guy just staring at the angel. And eventually, in frustration, the supervisor says, On what basis? On what basis are you here? And he said, The man on the middle cross said, I can come. The man on the middle cross said, I can come. That's the only answer, you see. It's the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself every day of who Jesus Christ is, I find myself beginning to trust myself, my own gifts, my own abilities, to trust my experience as part of, as part of the fallenness of man. I just start to trust me. What can I do? How can I change this? 
How can I speak into this? If I take my eyes off the cross, if I get to thinking that my salvation, the things that I'm doing depend on who I am. It just leads to despair. It leads to despair and a, and a horrible kind of arrogance that happens. Not humility, an arrogance because I'm doing this. I'm doing this. It's only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair that come into our life, which I'm going to speak to in just a minute, and this pretentious arrogance that we have, that we're in charge of things, the pride of man, that we're in control of things. So I can figure these things out, and I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. No, 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 no. You know that song that, that speaks to me about this is, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. I am divinely loved. You are divinely loved. That's why Luther, and, and people don't understand Luther when he said this, but that's why Luther says that most of your Christian life is outside of you. It's out in, in a sense. And what he's saying there, he says, you're not, what he's saying is you're not saved by your stuff. It's outside of you. It's, it's what God has done. It's not you at all. It's outside of you. We're not saved as a result of our professions, you know, the things we say. We're saved simply as a result of what Christ has achieved. Simply to the cross, I cling. I uh, like to quote that's attributed, I think it's attributed to the American theologian Jonathan Edwards. And he says this, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Except the sin that made it necessary. Years ago, I got a phone call. It was early evening. It was in the winter. I remember it was the winter time. It was cold. I remember there was snow on the ground. And there was a young family that was in the church. And they were new to the church. And I got a phone call, and there was an urgency to it. And he said, can you, uh, we need you to come by quick. So I got in the car and I drove. It was, <laughs> interestingly enough, it was to Joy Estates. Joy Estates was the name of the, the subdivision. And I went there. There are police cars everywhere. And uh, just lights flashing. And, and, and one of the officers uh, took me by the hand and took me inside the home. And there was the, the young man and his wife sitting on the couch, a mess. A mess. Uh, I, I could tell there's been tears, uh, confusion, police in and out of the home. And the, the, the young man was in the fall, around this time of year actually, and he was going to go hunting, and he took his gun out in the kitchen. He was cleaning his gun, and he had two boys. He had one boy sitting there, and the unthinkable happened. The unthinkable happens. And the gun went off, 
and a little boy's killed. And I was called to come. Well, you can't imagine. You just can't imagine that, that moment. And I sat there with them. And, uh, and I looked at them and they looked at me. And I thought myself, I'm racing, my mind's racing. What, what, can, I, what can I possibly say? What can I possibly say? So I'm praying in my mind. I'm praying, Lord, give me the words. Give me the words. I want to, uh, and I was at a loss. I really was. And I wanted to give comfort. I wanted, what do you do? What do you say? And I wanted to give some comfort. And the Lord said to me, tell them I understand. Tell them, I killed my son. I killed my son. Except it wasn't an accident. I started to write down my experiences in life. Our Heavenly Father always understands our suffering because of Calvary. Understands everything you're going through. All the difficulties you're experiencing in your life, whether they're emotional, whether they're physical, relational, financial, whatever you're going through, our Heavenly Father understands because of Calvary. He knew suffering that was infinitely, exceedingly greater than anything we will ever encounter in our lives. Four words. Four words. You are divinely loved. You are divinely loved. Let that resonate with you this Thanksgiving. You are divinely loved. Let's pray together. You're a good God. Father, I pray that each person here that we catch that and not and let it resonate within our hearts and our minds. The goodness of God because of Calvary. The goodness of God from the foundations of the world that he cared for me, that he loves me that he was already preparing for me in my life, directing my paths. Even in those, those moments where I thought, well, this is it, this is it. What am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? Got no home. Screwed up my life. What am I going to do? 
Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Father, we pray for your people. That in Christ, that not only the hope of the world is our hope, is my hope. In Christ, it's not only somebody who loves the world, he loves me. He loves me. And Father, we're thankful that that love comes in so many different ways, so many different forms. From tender words that someone speaks, from hands that open to one another, to unexpected gifts that come from a knock on the door, from care and prayer. And we pray this Thanksgiving, our Father, as we gather in our homes, with our families, with our loved ones, that those moments would indeed be overwhelming as we look at our children, our grandchildren, the many blessings that you've given to us, that our hearts would be overwhelmed with love. But most of all, as we look at the cross, we pray for all of these things that we've, we've <laughs> took, taken the time to just nail on the cross this morning. Some of them probably sensitive. Some of them just, just expressions of joy and thanksgiving. In all that, our Father, we just want to lift you up. You're a good God. You're a good God. So we commit all this to you in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen.